When my sister approached the nurse in the hospital and told her that she needed to leave, the nurse was a bit skeptical. She could still see the staph infection running up and down my sister's thighs. This type of staph infection is one of the leading killers in a hospital. She could see little black blisters on my sister's legs, kind of about the size of your thumbnail, with veiny lines running between them, like a dark star constellation, and the skin around it was red and puffy. This was my sister's third round of antibiotics since the last two hadn't worked, and the nurse told her she needed to stay again overnight. My sister said that she couldn't. She was late to pick up her daughter. They had to go pick up broccoli for her daughter's birthday at the local Safeway. This had become a custom for them. At her daughter's fifth birthday, my sister called ahead and said she was bringing broccoli for her birthday, kind of like coal in the stockings for Christmas. And when she got home, after making the joke, Santana asked, where's my broccoli? Since then, as sort of a gag, they go to the store every birthday and get her her broccoli. At about 7 p.m., with a staph infection, my sister arrived at the store with her daughter. By now, at about the same time, 7 o'clock, Ethan Blair Miller was leaving his home in a neighboring apartment building. Before leaving, he loaded an AR-15-style rifle and a 12-gauge shotgun, and he exited his house. On his way out, he stopped in front of his Ford F-250, his own pickup, and unloaded the rifle into his vehicle filling it full of holes. Ethan Blair Miller was not planning to come back. If you're wondering about the broccoli, my niece is an interesting kid. Santana has an Ozzy Osbourne doll that she has carried around since she was very young. Most kids carry around Barbies or maybe a plush doll. She carries Ozman. She used to sleep every night with a plastic Viking battle axe. And one time, we were having a family get-together. My sister told her, you need to go to sleep. And she collapsed on the floor, arms crossed over the battle axe, and told her, drag me. Around this time, she was getting out of her kickboxing class. She's nine. And although she takes kickboxing... She does try to restrain herself from beating up on her older brothers. Even though she is getting older, and she is picking up new hobbies, she still insists on the broccoli every year, because she still thinks it's funny. The Safeway in Bend, Oregon is pretty well insulated. You wouldn't hear a gunshot from the outside. Especially if the shooter's initial shots are so random, none of the police responders can pinpoint where it comes from. Ethan Miller shot at my sister's apartment buildings, which bordered the Safeway parking lot, and are across from his own apartment lot. The parking lot to Safeway is so close to my sister's apartments 
We once lost styrofoam airplanes that we had been throwing back and forth on the balcony, which swished over the balcony railing, over the fence, and landed in the Safeway lot. Ethan Blair Miller also shot at the big lots across the way. But as he went towards Safeway, he narrowed his focus. He started actually hitting people. Just after seven, my sister went through the checkout line. She put the receipt for the broccoli in her pocket, a receipt which she has kept as a memento of how close they came. Because about five minutes after they walked through that line, they drove across the parking lot, backtracking without knowing it where Miller had just come from, right at the moment that Miller was taking his first victim, 84-year-old Glenn Edward Bennett a customer at the west entrance. The gunman then went farther into the store, firing aisle by aisle as he progressed. He eventually reached the store's produce section, right next to the broccoli. Instead of finding an easy victim there, he found Donald Ray Surratt Jr., a 66-year-old employee of Safeway, who, when hearing the shots, pulled a cart in front of himself and crouched behind it and drew a knife from his belt, a small produce knife. When the gunman looked in the opposite direction, Surt jumped out and stabbed him with the produce knife in an attempt to disarm him. The gunman eventually overpowered Surt and shot him to death. Two other people during the shooting suffered non-life-threatening injuries. But when the police arrived almost immediately to the store, they found Miller was already dead. He committed suicide at 7.08 p.m. Apparently, after receiving the stab wound, he felt he couldn't go on with his rampage. Needless to say, this all could have been a lot worse. It could have been another Topps supermarket shooting. It could have been five minutes prior, when instead of a hero with a pocket knife by the broccoli, he could have found a mother of three, weak from her battle with staph infection, and a nine-year-old dressed in kickboxing gear ready for her birthday cake. I don't think the word gratitude is big enough for what my family feels. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Lamets, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no on the internet and get to the facts. Overnight tragedy unfolding in Oregon, a gunman attacking shoppers at a Safeway grocery store. Shortly before 7 o'clock, they believe the shooter comes from the parking lot of that Safeway and then makes entry. Witnesses say they start hearing shots even before possibly he's inside their burst of fire, like five to seven rounds and then another five to seven rounds and maybe 10 to 20 rounds. To say that our family feels a profound sense of gratitude 
for my sister's cosmic timing would be an incredible understatement. Santana will probably feel gratitude when she's older. In the moment, she was just thrilled by the SWAT team that she saw marching through their apartment complex while they searched for the unit the shooter had started his rampage from. It was one block over, connected to a apartment sprawl, and Santana waved at the SWAT team in their full gear, and she told him it was her birthday. One of the members waved back and wished her a happy birthday, and it made her day. She giggled. As an introvert and a natural cynic, I struggle with gratitude. I grew up below the poverty line. I went to a public school that scored a D- in national ratings, meaning access to scholarships or mentors was basically closed to me. In my professional life, I worked as a night guard for over a decade while I completed a degree and an investigator's license and then some writing awards. The word gratitude isn't even in my vocabulary most days. If you're an American who has to fight for every inch, it's hard to feel gratitude for the struggle. For having to pay extra when so many people don't seem to pay anything at all. But we can all learn gratitude. At least, I hope I can. And we're going to start today with a few myths about gratitude. Myth one. Gratitude seems like a simple equation. If I were happier, I'd feel grateful. If there's nothing to be happy about, there's nothing to feel grateful for, right? Myth two. Why try to feel grateful every day if my life is a train wreck with a plane crash on top? Are there any health or financial benefits to forcing yourself to feel grateful? Myth three. If gratitude is an exercise we do for our health, like working out, then where's our gratitude peloton? Are there best practices for gratitude, like gratitude training? We're going to get into our myths. But first, I want to tell Joe about the complicated hero who stopped the Safeway shooter. So when I first went back after listening to my sister talk about this, I read about um, the guy who stepped in and stopped the shooter. And the more I dug and the more the news dug, the more complicated it got. Like everybody was ready to, I mean, literally he'd set up plaques and awards for this guy and like scholarships. And then people started learning his history. So um, I was wondering if I could get kind of your reaction and your take on him as a quote unquote hero. Well, how do you, how do you feel about somebody who, Save the life of, let's just say, this young man who entered this Safeway store. He was ready to do as much damage and take as many lives as possible. And this, you know, produce employer, you know, obviously not the CEO of the company, um, gave his life to save other people's lives. Do you think that kind of trumps all other <laughs> life things, Joe? That's that's the complicated part. Like, it, it it's what we will inevitably be asking in this story is, can you wash out a horrifying wrong with an incredible right? I mean, like this. I call it a value change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a huge value change. <clears throat> Joe, being the you know the award winning writer 
uh, he knows knows about value changes. But to go from a child molester, um, he spent. Uh, well, let me tell you a little about about his name Please. is Donald Ray, Ray Donald Ray Stewart Jr. And he had plenty of time to flee. He saw this thing coming. Um, he was a military veteran for many many years, and he waited for the the gunman to look the other way. Then he attacked him with his tiny produce knife. And he eventually got overpowered by the younger man and got killed. But him, that act of bravery, made the killer decide he kind of lost his, uh, he kind of lost his desire, or lost his momentum and decided to take his own life. I could only find a couple of early news stories about it. Did you find anything about how bad the wound was? No, I didn't read anything about that. I don't know if they adjusted the news or like if if they found better facts or something, but it must have been. This is pure speculation, but they must have been like a non life threatening wound, but something enough to where it like halted his spree because it, like after their struggle, he didn't go further. And like this guy, right. <laughs> yeah, the way he was shooting at everything—cars, people, houses, apartments, Safeway—like this was not something that was going to be stopped unless it like some wound was inflicted. You got like a hip or an artery. This Donald Ray guy, he worked at he worked at this store and he worked there for some years. Um Lisa Morrison worked there f- with him in the floral department. And she said every Thursday, this this is not the shooter, this is the guy who stopped the shooter. Um he would stop in and get stargazers flowers, fresh ones for his disabled wife and he bring them and Lisa said that was the sweetest thing. Um, another guy, Alex, who worked with him for eight years, closely with him, said he was just cheerful and talkative, and he's always willing to talk to you about something that's going on in your life. Now, on the flip side, once all this press came out that, um, I wouldn't think that they'd have people who had sexual, um, past of predator sexual stuff, would you think they'd be able to work in grocery stores? I would think that would be off limits too, wouldn't you? I would have assumed that would have showed up in a background check, and they would have told him hit the bricks. I don't, I don't know if Safeway is. No. I, yeah, I, not that it reflects badly on Safeway for hiring accused like past felons or people that have reformed, but it's still one of those things where like, did he not include it on his resume? Well, this is the thing. I, I worked at, I served at my church for many years, and I was did the security stuff. And we used to do background checks on all the volunteers. Joe, I was shocked at how many men in their younger lives were involved in similar things like this. And I swear, these men nowadays are the last people you would expect. And you just think, huh, you know, it really shocked me. And, of course, at church, you can't exclude someone because of that stuff. You have to forgive them, right? It's a Jesus stuff. So right. <laughs> what we would do is we would we'd have a little number and we'd say, Well, we're gonna keep an eye on them <laughs> Because mm. if they've they've offended once they've probably they, there's a chance there's a more likely chance. But so Donald he, he this this arrest Oregon pol- police records say it was in nineteen ninety four. Um and it was a sexual crimes it was involved in a minor when he was thirty eight. So a pretty big age difference if we're talking, and I don't know the exact, but let's say 16, 17-year-old, and he was 38. He was sentenced to the, one of the harshest prisons in this country, 
um, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. I don't know if you've heard stories of that, but they're pretty scary. I have heard threats about that. Like when somebody says you're going to do time in a movie, they will say Fort Leavenworth. Like it's almost like a punchline. <laughs> um, so he got sentenced to 10 years. So it was pretty serious. Um, okay. Oregon State ha- has him on the registry of sex offenders as a level one offender. And that's the lowest classification. And I don't know if that's because of he hasn't reoffended or if it's just been so much time. I think over time you get a little bit more grace. Mm. Do you think he was given sent to Fort Leavenworth specifically because he was in the military? I don't know how the army works. Maybe you can. Yes, that's, okay. a, that's the mil- that's a military prison, but it is not. <laughs> the military can be pretty hard on their people. Uh, you know, I was just heard yesterday a story about Coast Guard up in Alaska not uh, not having running water because all the pipes burst, and you know, so it's pretty tough. It could be a pretty tough life. So in their prison is is a lot worse. Okay, so we have somebody who has done basically the worst crime we we have a sentence for, having reformed himself. Do you think that's enough time? Like this, I know we're going way far away from like what he did and you know what he did to repent effectively. But I, I mean, like you said that like you know decades changes a man, and and that you know. You, you. I mean, you have the experience of literally seeing people come to Jesus after having done stuff like this. So, well, and I think too. I think you're as as a man as you get older, your testosterone drops. You're just not the same person. Like I, you know, when I was in my twenties, or even in my even when I was thirty eight, I would be more aggressive and more physical. Like I, you know, I could get into a fight or. Now I could, you know, at 48, that just, I, that would never happen. <laughs> it's not even on my radar. So, yeah, we, we soften and we, I don't know if we weaken, but we're, I don't think we're the same as we were. Okay. So three decades after doing this horrible crime, he hears gunshots and he wheels his little produce cart in front of himself and just crouches behind it when everyone else is running. Literally everyone. Like I... When when I was reading through this the first time, and I was trying to get a, a handle on where everybody was, because that was my big concern. Is like I let you handle the narrative, but my concern was where is everyone located in the store, and everybody in his location had fled and gotten away, basically. Don't you like to think that you would do exactly what he did, Joe? I I mean, like to believe that, but after going through security training, I'd probably be hauling ass. Yeah, I, I, and it happened so fast. I think that's the big thing. You don't have time to measure and think. It wasn't planned. It just happened, or at least not by the victims. You know, so you, right. you, I, I don't know. I think it just happens in a second, and and he made a decision. But it just that's a total act of bravery. I mean, that's that's Hollywood shit, right? It is like that is. I mean, like literally the it's like Die Hard stuff. Would you would you hide behind a cart when you heard somebody with an automatic weapon on their way? I think I'd be running. I think I'd be running for the doors. <laughs> I think I'd like to think I grab two small children with me, though. You know, that, that's my that's how I romanticize this. <laughs> no, I'm. I I would like to think that I would be a hero in this situation, but I don't think. I mean, like, I've heard so many stories where somebody stands up and stops an active shooter with a, um, a licensed weapon. They'll, they'll have a pistol on them. But a, 
like literally a produce knife like like <laughs> that's like a joke that's that's you know roll a snare yeah. drum like that's crazy i can't think he would have done enough damage with that that you know the the killer the the yeah. cowardly murderer serial killer who's doing this um he just shot a friggin' uh 84 year old when he came through yeah, the door he, he killed I a mean, retiree so just before entering that entrance yeah i mean it's just disgusting I just don't think, I think maybe if he saw just even a little bit of his own blood, he, he got scared and decided to take his own life before it got worse, which is shocking, yeah. you know, which is extremely cowardly. I I asked my sister after this, I was like, how much of this were you aware of? Because, like, I, in my mind, when I first heard about this, I went the opposite. Most people hear about a disaster and their their family being involved. I did the thing where I was like, most people are like, oh my God, I bet they're involved. I was like, I hope it's Mr. Magoo. Like I was imagining them driving the opposite direction or walking out of the lot or like missing them by five minutes means that they were basically in the store at the same time or at least in the lot. And I asked, how much did you, were you aware of something happening? And she was like, oh, there were, yeah, people were, the police were out. We heard the sirens, you know, we saw cars fleeing like like they were aware of it basically from leaving the store and driving off the lot like it it got more intense as they got to their apartments and like i said the apartments they're on separate blocks but it's one big apartment sprawl that he came from so like they didn't just leave the hot spot they went from the hot spot to the origin spot and just hung out and watched this whole thing unfold um now this is bend oregon if no one's ever been up there um bend is full of like very sort of like red state uh hunting kind of mountain folk and she lives in what she describes as the ghetto of bend which it's bend um but uh she said that everybody was outside with um uh, people were getting like hunting rifles and stuff like the, the the guys in the apartments were starting to form militias in the parking lot and that they were so used to sort of cops traipsing through for, like, drug arrests and things that they, they didn't think anything of it. Just when they heard yeah. that it was an active shooter, they're like, well, he's not getting past us. Which I, I thought that was weird. That was like a parking lot party slash get-together with rifles. Yeah. Well, and then doing this security work at the church, we, we did a, we'd have a lot of specialists come in. And active shooters training we did all the time. And they'd have us watch these videos, Joe, um, of they were reenactments. But it, shootings in corporate or in stores or in schools are very different than they are on TV. It's yeah. very ugly. It's very cold. It's very um, – so even watching these, it kind of sticks with you. It, it isn't like the movies. It happens very fast. And one of the things we learned from the church is what we are talking about with people bringing weapons and, and trying to protect their, their families. Rightfully so, right? Unfortunately, the police come. They don't know good guys from bad guys. They just know guys with guns. And they just had one in Colorado where a guy who, who stopped a shooter with his own gun got killed by the police. He got killed by the police, people he actually saved police-wise. Right. And so it's, it is, it's just horrible. There's no, no good comes out of any of this. <laughs> so um, Donald Ray Cert, you know, did it in the cleanest way possible. But he had to give his own life. Right. So I I guess the rest of this episode, <laughs> to spoil it for everybody, we're going to get into the science of gratitude and how feeling grateful makes you happy. 
because that's really where I want to pull out of this extraordinarily dark story is can we feel gratitude for something dark like if if this episode was just going to be like a self-help raw raw you know um uh the secret kind of a, a story it would be over already and it would have been 20 minutes of us saying yes gratitude helps your health and your well-being and you should feel grateful every day here's 10 steps to meditate better and then it would have been over but what i want to know is something deeper and something more common in the american experience which is can you still feel grateful if something is so dark and so horrible if if like our intro said if your life is currently a train wreck with a plane crash on top can you feel grateful yeah. for that and is it still good for you like is yeah, it and sh- should you should you feel guilty that your family didn't die but someone else's did you know <laughs> I mean, is that right? Can't should I feel guilty that uh, my sister and my my niece were fine, but somebody else died, and then the killer, you know, like like so there are several victims. So like, can I feel okay that a child molester was the hero in this story? There's so many complicated, deep feelings, and I want science to help me unravel those because. Um, it could be years of therapy for me, or it could be a couple months of therapy with some science to back me up. So I'm, I'm hoping we get through both the answer for me and, and the answer for everyone else who is currently facing an incredible economy and active shootings and rising crime. I mean, literally everything we're going through as you know, Americans, I, I want to answer, can we still feel grateful? Um, have you heard, Todd, that gratitude makes you happy? I've heard that. I've heard, you know, that, that smile, it's easier to make a smile than a frown kind of shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the airy-fairy crap. Well, let, well, let's talk real quickly about how you feel about your sister, uh, who, what she means to you. I know you're not like to talk about your feelings, but what was your initial heart say when, when you found out that this, this was this close call? The wrong one. I... I... I feel very guilty for saying that out loud, but my first thought was, it's the wrong one because of my family. Like everybody in my family is like uh, a meltdown waiting to happen. We all have fairly high IQ, but we all melt down easily and become problems for the rest of the family. Like if it was, I hate to say it, but like I have other siblings where like they're addicts or like they don't contribute or their their life has been sort of a, a life of struggle and pain and there's no one person that deserves this obviously but I was like no 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 this this is the sister that like she has her shit together she's raised a family she has three kids and a husband like she's I mean like they've struggled with money and stuff but what couple in a family doesn't like like it it was to me, I was like, no, no, that's the one family member and the one part of our family that needs to be away from this as far as possible. And they're walking off the lot while the gun, like, like while the bullets start flying. She's one of the, you know, just from Joe's history, too, she's one of the few siblings that's had children, right? I think a lot of times yeah. when we have rough up, we have rough upbringing, it's hard to <laughs> keep procreating. <laughs> but she wasn't. She, she decided to, you know, to have her own children. I've got, um, we're all spread out and we don't talk to each other very much, but of the five or six siblings I have, she's the one who had kids and has like decided to have like a, a sort of classic nuclear family. Um, so it, it was, 
it was crazy to hear this. And like my brother and I were both on the uh, we we were we were getting texts while it was happening, and my brother who who is a year older than me had the same thoughts. Like I know because his texts were like they were in the apartment and they were like it's still an active situation and he's like get on the floor everybody <laughs> like he was texting back like like you know practical yeah. advice but he was taking it very seriously like a cia but, like he was there yeah exactly <laughs> i was more almost journalistic i was like what's happening what, you know, what what's the timeline who what you know what news agency is picking it up like what channel do we tune into my brother's like get on the floor stay away from the windows yeah it was it was interesting um, I, I can obviously feel grateful afterward. Like it, it doesn't, it's not a stretch for me to think of that, to feel grateful, but I, I, I want to know if it's healthy for that. Like, like, is it healthy? Is it Pollyanna ish? Weirdos. Yeah. Weirdos. There's a German phrase for, uh, he who smiles too much is either insane or American. <laughs> um, I always love that phrase. Um, but we, here in America, we have a term for it called Pollyanna or being Pollyanna-ish. And it's a reference to um, basically it's like this old movie where an orphan goes around like she gets adopted by rich people and she teaches everybody the value of being positive. Like she she believes that, you know, all of life's problems can be solved by being positive, And if you just have a positive attitude, it'll see you through. And in... Like, it, just in, in psychology and, and in, in relative terms, being Pollyanna-ish is looked at as a negative thing. It, it means you are choosing to be positive even when it's hurting you. When being more realistic and being, you know, um, aware of your chances and your risks of not being a Pollyanna when you have no money and no job prospects and, like, you have to leave your current situation to make it. Being Pollyanna-ish would be like saying, oh, no, it'll all work out because, you know, cosmically you, you can't, yeah, you, you, you can't be hurt if you are just, you know, positive all the time. My, my love will outlast this pain. <laughs> exactly. I kind of want to go back to Primitive Man. Like, that's always where I like to start things. I mean, if, you, if people have listened to our podcast multiple times, they know that when it comes to mechanisms in our brain i like to start with why we have it in the first place um primitive man is not designed to be pollyanna or positive it's not designed to be grateful like like our brains are built for speed not for gratitude <laughs> our brains are designed to be problem-solving machines uh the way our eyes function is to track movement so that we can like hunt better and look through the jungle better our our uh, the way our brains fixate on like anxiety is built into us so that we can focus on a task that will help us survive and to worry about what's not going to let us survive. Like every part of our, every, every, you know, inch of our brain is designed to reward us for basically eating good things, having sex and nothing else. And it's designed to worry and to be concerned and to solve problems like a machine. Like, like we are supposed to go Rubik's cube to Rubik's cube in our world and solve everything in our path. Like that's that's what primitive man's brain is built for. Your spearhead doesn't s- stick to your spear. Tie it on with sinew. Like you 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 know the the lion keeps eating the gazelles. Well then set a trap for the lion. Like like our brains are made to basically see the negative 
and to try to solve it and then to move on quickly. So we have already sort of hinted at the benefits of feeling grateful, if you can. If you can get over that early man programming, those that, that problem-solving machine in your head, if you can get over that, feeling grateful is it has all the benefits like like we will link off to our studies but like it, it improves sleep mood and immunity like physical immunity um i'm i'm not a cosmic secret you know the secret kind of person like i don't believe this stuff because i, I don't think positive thinking can overcome cancer or anything like that I, i'm not going to fall into that foolishness but just the pure science of it is i mean like your immunity goes up well that makes sense to me because you're not constantly anxious, meaning you sleep better, you eat better, you take better care of yourself. Like there's more consistent. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's got got to be more consistent, right? Right. I mean, and, that's just the way. Or even even being negative all the time has its you know being just to, totally stoic and just totally you know everyone's worked with that person who just kind of drags themselves around all day, but they stay in that same lane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's strength and consistency. Right. So if you lower your anxiety and depression by by practicing gratitude, what you and I have, have talked about cortisol since the start of this podcast. Like you lower your cortisol, your your heart your heart attack risk goes down. Your your risk for pain and disease goes down. So like <laughs> again, we're not we're not using, you know, like pseudoscience here. This is like good stuff. Like like you lower your cortisol and you live longer, period. So practicing gratitude does that. And reading up on the science of this, I've learned that you don't feel grateful because of good things in your life. I have a hard time feeling grateful as a person. Um, it, it is something where I believe or did believe that to feel gratitude, that means something went well that day. Um, like I, I got finished with a project early, I feel grateful. Um, my significant other does something nice for me in the morning, cooks for me, makes breakfast, gets coffee ready, whatever. I feel grateful. I did not believe until reading this that it's the other way around, that you have to practice gratitude and that's what makes you happy. I'm reminded as you're talking about, um, Steve Jobs was saying this about, um, cause he's seen people in his organization and in his career before he passed who went from having pretty much nothing to being multi multi-millionaires and he said that he says that a lot of money just changes people and and makes great good people into weird people and i thought that was a, to me was a genuine lack of gratitude oh you're you know a multi multi-millionaire because of your your corporate success and the stuff you've developed and products but you, you're not grateful you just you're always looking for something more right it's it's the same question of how can you not feel grateful when you win the lottery well you looked at winning the lottery like a problem to be solved, and now your brain is looking for the next problem. Like like you are doing what primitive paying man was built to do. Yeah. We're going to the next puzzle. Paying taxes. You're paying taxes, and then you're you're complaining about how your family wants all the money and da-da-da. <laughs> right. <laughs> a, a genuine lack of gratitude. Right. It, and when you look at it that way, that, you know, it, to, to summarize, we're not built to be grateful. We're built to be problem solvers. If you move on to the next problem, every time you get something good in your life, you will never really feel grateful, and you have to practice gratitude to be happy. All of that boils down for me to, you know, take a moment from your constant Rubik's Cube solving to feel grateful and practice gratitude, and you will 
make yourself happy. Like, like you're, you know, you're, you're building a, a happiness practice basically out of gratitude. Um, so that's our next step that I want to talk a little bit about. Um, you and I covered an episode about, um, journaling values that has actually come up in several of our episodes. It came up in uh, attraction. We we found out that people who um, build their self esteem around external values oftentimes they kind of crumble later in life uh, as people. Like they they kind of have breakdowns. Um, so like journaling about values uh, made students perform better. It, it made people realize what their values were, and it slowly helps you sort of fine tune and hone them. I swear to God, we're eventually going to put out a book. I know it's been way too late, but we need to put out a journal that talks like, you know, here's how to journal about gratitude and values and things like that. Here's, here's the scientifically proven things that journaling about them will help you because that's the first step in, in gratitude is if you want to practice gratitude and you're not good at it like me, you're a curmudgeon who solves problems throughout their life, journaling about what you're grateful for, um, it builds up your social well-being according to a 2016 study um that we're going to link off to so like start a gratitude journal just write three things in there every day that you're grateful for try to make them new things every day and it boosts your happiness life satisfaction um i mean like like if you if you intertwine it with your values gratitude about values i mean like it 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 starts building up your cardiovascular health and your stress literally your inflammation goes down and your pain receptors aren't as active it is i mean like incredibly crazy like 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 we've said before there are these micro practices you can do and they they basically are superpowers to improve everything in your life this is one of them that that we need to tie to this journal i swear we're going to put this out well i can tell you too joe um one thing I've noticed from all my affairs and then managing people, hiring people, working with um, difficult people, sometimes um, customers, knowing other people's values, being aware of their values makes it a lot easier to work towards win-win with all of your interactions with them. When you realize what their core, and, and when you, it's one thing to recognize your own and it is important and you value, but when you start to recognize others, you can really, um, Build good friendships and relationships and solve problems faster because you're going to try to help basing on their values and your values and trying to find a, a compromise. Absolutely. Like the most valuable friendships I have are ones where we share a value in something and we know what the other person is looking to gain, like what they're trying to work toward. Um, so uh, there's there's... If you know that about somebody and you can work towards something with them and you can practice gratitude together, I mean, that's like a double bonus. Like you both get something out of that. That's like having a buddy go to the gym with you and you spot each other. <laughs> like if nice. if you you and I, I mean, like it, it's weird to come from us, but you and I have talked about being grateful for what we have, that we've, we've done this podcast and we've made a lot of friends and a lot of, I mean, serious you know, like uh, life partners and, and helpers and like we've built a team out of doing this kind of stuff. And we've talked about our gratitude toward that. And it's like, I didn't realize subconsciously that you and I were, as the Mayo Clinic put it, where we're putting behavioral changes and biology forward with that gratitude and increasing oxytocin and like connectiveness. And sometimes we lack the gratitude. We forget how far we've come and 
Yeah. And we don't. <laughs> and all the attention and, and all the, the praise we've gotten. and <laughs> So we have to we have to remind ourselves sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how you measure success can be a lack of gratitude. Please listen to our to our Dan Fogelberg, uh, How to Measure Success, because that, that kind of ties into this one. Oh, it totally does. Dan Fogelberg, uh, we had an episode about the Bee Gees, too, that basically proved that your prime of your life is not what you think it is. Like, <laughs> like there's, it's so much easier to feel gratitude when you when you realize you're not behind in anything, that things are going at the clip they should. Um, so, yeah, if there's anything we're going to take away from this, it's gratitude makes happiness, not the other way around, and that we could start a gratitude journal. It can be the quickest thing on earth. Literally write three words down in a scrap of paper, and you've got it. The, the, you're, you're starting. Um, I call you up regularly and bitch about my problems. Uh, like, um, I think the first thing I told you, it was either text or call yesterday. I was like, I'm covered in paint. Uh, I, I've been sweating out in a trailer all day working. I, I'm miserable. But what I forgot to mention is it's a trailer I own on a ranch I'm on because I managed to start writing as a professional full time. So it's like these are all things white that people I... problems. Yeah, exactly. So white people problems. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, an event like this snaps everything sharply into focus. I'm like, oh right, I've got everything in the world. I'm I'm perfectly fine. So I I should be practicing. I'm I, I'm, I'm miserable from all this. Um, lack of dead and sex I've been having lately. <laughs> right. <laughs> Woe is me. How could your life? Get, Joe Joe's pretty much a you know it's successful in his writing career now, and it's and it's and he he supports himself with it, which was to me is doing what you love and being able to do it full time is is I, I think is success, right, Joe? I I I was talking to um, uh, Rachel's sister works in. Um, plays like she's she's a stage producer and i was complaining about deadlines um for commissions and she was like oh no it must be awful being a paid writer and i was like oh no she's right she's dead on like I, it, this is the luckiest thing i could be doing so and we then forget we forget yeah. it makes sense though that brain going to the next problem the next that, problem the next problem that's that just really that's woke me up i've never heard that before but that just makes total sense yeah, that's why it, we, we see these high achievers and they're 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 miserable about well their kid can't get into this private school and you know they don't have their vacation times only a month this year and they they're not going to be able to go they're they're not going to get that condo in the Bahamas like they I mean they're literally problems like you, you, seem ridiculous to us but to them they make them miserable they they squirrel cage in their head they obsess over these things because they just want the next thing the next thing the next thing. Right, and they're not being selfish or short-sighted. That's just what they're built for. Like, that's what all humans are built for. We're problem solvers. So I, I just want to point out again, like, this... We have seen so many shootings in the last couple of years in america i mean like it, um there was a statistic i was reading about from the department of justice uh, when i was working on my pi license that was saying that there is a um I, i've i've heard different news outlets say that 
you can't say there's a mass shooting every day if it is a gang violent shooting or somebody shooting a family member like like that calling it a mass shooting doesn't count unless it's multiple strangers there is now at the, you know uh, as of last year there is now a mass shooting every day that involves multiple victims who don't know each other that aren't in gangs that aren't family members so like there are so many mass shootings it could have been so much worse than what happened in bend um and that's that's because of this guy ethan blair miller um this cat like when i read about him he did not casually stroll out he did not go postal like from what i could tell and todd will help me on this he did not leave the house with a rifle and go postal he went out with a plan and like most of these mass shooters he glorified in what he wanted to do like he glorified in death and and mashed other mass shooters um so i was wondering todd if you do you have the same feelings about this this just felt pure evil to me yeah this was very planned um ethan miller young man um everything i read about him you look at him he just you know kind of a scruffy beard kid thin kid just terrible that his head went to this place but he walked calmly from he he entered from behind the Safeway um, to, into the parking lot from an apartment complex was right there. So he it was very um, a crime of location. But he'd been planning this. So this is what he had with him: he had an AR-15 rifle and then a pump-action 12-gauge shotgun that he carried into the store. Okay. Um, they also found it in his car. Um, uh, Molotov. How do you say those cocktails? What do you call those oh. bomb things? Yeah, Molotov cocktails. It's a just imagine a vodka bottle with a handkerchief stuffed into the neck. Yeah, I, that just seemed weird to me. And then in his car, he had a sawed-off shotgun, along with additional. Um, he had more ammunition in his apartment that was close by. Um, he posted a lot of stuff online about shootings. Now, he had no criminal history in that area, so he wasn't known to police. And that's the always thing. I'm always looking for someone to blame, Joe. A right. parent, a friend, a roommate, a girlfriend. Someone should have done something. And I don't know. Is that my problem solving, or is that me judging, or is that... I I kind of do the same math. Like, the last couple times you and I have talked about... We had a, an episode about the um, statistics of how young shooters are. And usually when we dig into this, it is like everybody knew about it. Like like the police had run-ins with them. They had a history of like being monitored with psychological institutions. They they had a record. This guy didn't. Like, no, he didn't. And and that's that's kind of weird. He, he this is some of the signs though. There were signs. Um, he published on a website called Wattpad. And he had a detailed plan, and he had reasons for the shoot- shooting. Another blog writing, one of the reasons for a shooting, he was blaming the COVID-19 and the quarantine for worsening uh, everyone's mental health. And he originally planned, and there's no good shootings, bad shootings. He, re- he originally planned a high school shooting on September 8th. Um, and where we're getting all this, this record of this is he had a blog, and there was about 35 posts. And I'll, I'll, most of those 35 posts, there was a desire to commit some serious violence. Now, I got to ask you this, Joe, because I have just talked doing the research for this. I have a kid I grew up with, and my friends and I used to joke 
I guess not really jokingly, but but honestly saying, this guy, all he needs is, he'd easily be one of these guys if the right cause or the right people got in his ear or the right thing got in his brain. Have you ever grown up with anybody that you know might be capable of this kind of stuff? Not that they're a bad guy because this guy was a good friend of ours, but I just think he just has that one tick off. Yeah, I've I've known people like that. Um, I talked to a um, it was a guy that used to mentor uh, juvenile like juvenile detention delinquents, and he said that most of the kids he mentored, he's like they literally just needed one person in their life to mentor them. He's like to have regular, consistent adult interactions that like gave them purpose. And I I kind of I don't want to blame purposelessness on this crime but the way he talked about like covid and and, like being quarantined and like i don't know not having anything to do not having prospects for a future seemed to contribute a lot to this i am kind of speculating but also pretty much every study we run across kind of backs us up well and he's the last one was he was he was doing some references to the combine high school shooting and there was a lack of family love in his life. He mentioned that he legally bought this shotgun, this AR-15. And his goal, Joe, for this, he killed two people, injured two. His goal was to kill over 40 people. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's just pretty disgusting. Like, he had a goal. His goal in life was to ruin that many people's lives. Which yeah. to me is so cowardly. You know, the cowardly part of this, if you want to fight, it's one thing. If you want to be Rambo or whatever, go go attack a military base or a police station, you know? <laughs> people with right. guns, Channel people that. who are patrolled. Yeah, not not 80-year-olds in the store and little kids in the store. It's hard to read these and... Okay, you and I did an episode once on Arthur Bremer and loneliness and how, you know, guy was isolated. And this was... This was a long time ago. This, like, Taxi Driver, the movie, the old movie, was based on Arthur Bremer. And, you know, he was an isolated incident. Like, he, he, he isolated himself. He had a history of, like, family abuse and lack of family love. Um, he also was young. He needed a mentor. Like, like, he was also sort of this, you know, creepy, hollowed-eyed, sociopath kind of guy. And he attempted to assassinate a governor. Um... It's hard to read that and see that it was such an isolated, strange, like like an incident that rarely ever happened, and everybody reacted appropriately, which is horror and shock, and now it is so incredibly common to find that guy, to find an Arthur Bremer, that they're coming out every day to shoot somebody, or uh, with the aim or goal of killing, you know, dozens or 40 or something like that. It's funny you bring that up. You know, Nancy Pelosi's uh, husband was... Uh, burglarized and almost killed recently. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, with a hammer. Yeah, but I was shocked that he wouldn't have some sort of daily protection just based on how famous she is and all the attention she gets for her views on, on politics and how how emotionally charged people get about. Wouldn't you be surprised? I would have a few bodyguards. If I was even her kid, you know, I just 
and I, so that what you were just talking about, the Arthur Bremer, he shot and he actually paralyzed. Um, so you know, there was a governor guy running for governor, right? Yeah, it was a it was a governor. So I I'm not gonna say I I understand that, but I understand that more than killing people that I don't hate. You know, right. you hate a politician or you hate their views or even a, a celebrity or something you can obsess over. How can you obsess over just people, you know, or just just de- dehumanizing people? Right. I I think that's a really good point that I hadn't considered. I have been angry enough at politicians to think to myself, if they were in front of me right now, I'd punch them. And God help them if I had a gun and they were in front of me when they put in a policy that took away like my medical coverage or something. I would I would do something awful if they were standing right in front of me. Possibly, I don't have that feeling for the general public. Like it, it's. I have maybe at most the um, uh, David Foster Wallace and his famous essay, "This Is Water." I do have the feeling sometimes that like people are in my way and they're kind of annoying sometimes as a group. I've never had the feeling of why don't I just do mass evil. This is a question I didn't look into because I didn't think we'd get there in this podcast, but do you think gratefulness could have stopped that? Like, if, if any of these guys, if our, our, our quote-unquote Arthur Bremer reborn over and over again in these people, could gratitude about nothing work for them? Like, because that's, that's what we're talking about is, like, can you feel grateful when you don't have anything else? I think so, and I and I think I think we got to. How do we measure? You know, living in this country, you live in this country. You're two percent richest people in the world. What's having nothing? You know, is it, it? I just think it boils down to loneliness and friendships, yeah, and just valuing other relationships. I think it'd be really hard. I, I'd like to think that Ethan is 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 must have some socially awkward things and he just doesn't have a have a support group or a friend group that he's getting this attention and this is his only way to just show dominance and power and and his significance in this world right there have been times in my life where i had little enough to where i didn't think i could feel grateful like I think everybody has had that moment where, I mean, they're obviously not going to pull an Arthur Bremer or an Ethan Blair Miller and, and go shoot somebody, but where you look around yourself and you've got so many bills and you're not going to have a place to live soon, or you already don't, and nobody is checking up on you in the morning. Like, you don't have somebody who, like, you don't have that, uh, a, nobody cares if you live or die, I think is the the way to put it. Like, you are living in the the bad outcome from it's a wonderful life like you you don't really have anything going for you you don't have prospects can we feel grateful and save ourselves gratefulness using it like a tool to like pull yourself up like like pull yourself up by your bootstraps is an american myth economically but can we do it emotionally like like can this actually save us you know, from from basically having nothing. Um, there is a very unpopular TED Talk I saw. <laughs> Have you ever looked at a TED Talk? And it is like by the actual TED Talk. It's not a TEDx talk. It is a, a legit TED Talk by somebody who only had like 50,000 views. <laughs> and it was years and years old. Like it wasn't brand new or anything like that. Uh, and com- I looked compared at to it. The, the media, the, most of them are usually 2 million. So yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> six or seven million for Brene Brown, and then this guy had like a couple thousand. Um, and you have a feeling that you listen, you watch it, you're like, yeah, this is why. This is this is garbage. Oh, immediately, yeah. <laughs> I want to promote him though because he had such a good message. It was just delivered so so blandly. Um, so there's a TED talk by a man named David Steindl Rast, and he is a a monk. He wears um, old style. What look to my uh, dumb, uneducated eyes like like crusades robe. Like he, he looks like he is dressed like a monk from like the 1500s. And he talks about gratitude. Like his whole speech is about gratitude. And he talks about going and visiting third world countries and not having light and power. And water doesn't run when you put on a faucet. And I've, I've talked to people in my life who had this experience. Um, uh, one of my early clubs, it was a debate club. There was a woman from East Africa named Pascaline. And she was brilliant. Like she had like a doctorate and she was extraordinarily smart and eloquent. But one time she gave up and she, she got up and gave a speech and she talked about how the first time she saw aisles of ice cream, she cried because she came from a country <laughs> where you don't have running water when you turn a faucet knob, but you can go to the store and pick out any flavor of anything you want that is, you know, the sweetest thing you've ever put in your mouth. Reminds me of when I was in the, like the third grade and I went to Toys R Us for the first time. I, I cried too. I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> like you're like, "This is not real." I think that's a great story. The ice cream thing. I love that. Yeah, yeah it's it. That's exactly what it feels like. It's like a kid realizing that like you can have anything you want, literally at that moment. <laughs> um, but, but that's what I mean by in this country we have so much. We have so much, and everyone says it's about third world countries when they visit them, Joe. They say the people have so little and the people are so happy. And everyone who goes anywhere will always say that same thing in exactly the way I just said it. Yeah. They're shocked. They're shocked at their gratitude. They they just we don't even understand it. Yeah. I I want to be able to recognize those. Like like for me, without having to go to a third world country to see that um to to remind myself i don't want to use another country and culture as my stepping stone to gratitude i would rather figure it out by just having good practices um so for me what i'm going to do is i'm i'm following monk david's uh um what he calls gratefulness stop signs now he does this with light switches and water that's not going to work for me like what he does is he takes sticky notes and he cuts them into squares, and then he puts them on, like, one of them on the light switch. And so after months of being back in America, it reminds him that I didn't have this, and it was awful. And, and he switches that light. And he puts it on um, the faucet, and he, he puts a little sticky note next to the cold water and the hot water, and it reminds him that he gets water whenever he needs it. I'm not going to put a sticky note in the ice cream aisle at my store, because I think they'd clean it up. But also, I... On my worst days when I was, you know, very poor and didn't have access to education or materials or outlets or, or social outlets, really, that would not have worked for me. Water and power would not have done it. So what I would need is um, to look around my room and my house or my car, wherever I am having to live in that moment, and I would have to put those on things that I absolutely cannot part with, things that, you know, I can't let go of uh, things that for for good reason like 
family heirlooms, um, you know, uh, uh, computers, <laughs> even if it's an electronic device, something that I rely on for my mental sanity, uh, a, a TV where I watch, you know, um, garbage Netflix, like whatever is literally bringing you comfort, that might be the best thing to put a sticky note on. Now you can't put a sticky note on people. You're going to have to remind yourself to, to do that. Um, but that to me, I don't know why, but grateful as stop signs sounds more not if, if you can't put yourself into the mindset to journal about what you're gra- grateful for every day, this is an easy hack. Like if, if you don't have the time to sit at your desk and write down three words or three things you're grateful for and take 15 minutes to do that, this is another route and it might be a more effective one where you just put sticky notes on the things you can't live without and then you take a moment to feel grateful when you interact with those. And Joe and I had some real, we just had a grateful run of probably, I would say 10 months to a year where the show was doing really well. Our our performances were improving and then our finances were improving and then our, we met uh, a partner and everything moved to what we just we got really got blessed and i think you and i both were just we're kind of we'd meet weekly or bi-weekly for you know prepare for the show and we we talk about it every time we didn't take it for granted now we're kind of to that point where we might (laughs) we might be kind of like we need a refresher course we need that hack we need some sticky notes on people and things that we forgot how far we've become. You, know, you do forget. Right. You forget. Yeah, I, I mean, you it's... Think, it, how, could you, how could you forget, but you do. You really do. Oh, it's... it's. I know how. It's it's literally what we what we talked about is, like, now you and I have problems to solve in front of us. Like, you, you're running a business, and I'm publishing stuff. So, like, we always have something right in front of us where this is, a, this is my next Rubik's Cube. And while I'm fiddling with that Rubik's Cube, it's hard to stop and remember, oh, yeah, I'm only here because I got so much help. And, you know, like like skill, money, maturity, knowledge, those are the things you get when you are grateful and you surround yourself with a good team. And it's not trading friends. Like, it's not like you're trading up and, and it's really just you find better mentors. You pair up with people who can help you. You, you know, you, you get into situations where even if it's not somebody offering you a job or somebody helping you professionally, you just find people who know more than you do and give you good life advice. I hope in the future I can be that outlet, that, that you know, support or mentor for my sister and her kids as they grow older and to be a resource for them. But I, that's, that's the thing I can be most grateful for right now in this moment is like you and I have been a resource for each other. I have been able to be a resource to more people because of a measure of success. And until that success happens in your life, you got to use sticky notes. (laughs) When we talk about like, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a Parkland shooting. It could have been a um, uh, a Uvalde. But what ended up happening is along the way, almost everybody seemed to do what they were supposed to do. So I was wondering if Todd could share a couple of the stories with us of people basically like helping each other and doing what they're supposed to do. Now, not judging, because this is probably what I would have done. I feel pretty confident. Even doing, um, when I was doing security at the church, 
I had a, you know, one of my jobs I, I, I got tasked with was guarding the, um, once guarding the pastor, if anyone tried to shoot the pastor. So I would be armed and be ready to defend, protect. And then I also, the children's area, there's a lot of things with custody battles. Parents will come when they're divorcing and try to grab the kid. And it's one thing to be ready to know that that's your job and that's why you're there. A lot of these employees were just there, you know, working in the produce, stocking, cashiers. So one of the employees, Robert, said him and three other employees ran into the refrigerator and closed the door, huddled up for warmth, and they probably didn't didn't even care about how cold it was, and just banded together and survived. And I kind of like that. You know, everyone holding hands and running, come with me and, and finding a safe place. It had to have been frightening because the shots just started ringing out. There was a customer, his name was Josh Kaba, and he was one of the survivors. And when he was there, he heard all these shots rang out. Now, this man had four kids with him at the store. Now, his sick wife was too ill to come in and help him shop, so she was waiting in the car. This guy had four kids, Joe. So he took his three kids. He fled the store. His wife wasn't there waiting for him where the car was, so he's even more freaked out. I mean, remember, this happens in, in seconds. This right. is, you hear this fire, you don't know what's going on. Um, so he found her out back, and she was screaming at him, screaming at the top of her lungs, get in the car, get in the car. He only had three kids with him. So then he had to bravely rush back in. Of course, it's his kid. Can you imagine how scary it is? He left one kid in the friggin' store, Joe. So he has to go back, I mean, and find, and he finds the kid. That's crazy. So he goes back and finds, I mean, think about the blessing that is, you know, think about just how scared and petrified. I hope the kids didn't know what was going on. I hope they were just kind of, just kind of being rushed and shocked, but I know the parents did. And I just can't imagine the fear. I can't find a stray kid in a store when it's normal and they're in the toy aisle. I can't imagine during that chaos, wife out back saying, get in. And being like, hold on, I gotta go find another one. Um, another thing they they showed that surveillance camera from outside the store, and two people who had uh, who had left the store when the when the fire the firefight stopped when the man killed himself, they ran back in. They dragged um, Bennett, our hero of the story. They dragged his body out and tried to resuscitate him. Um, it's it is worth mentioning that the police arrived and headed into the building while shots were still being fired. Um, The cops were there in a timely manner. We've had something happen, the school shooting in Texas, elementary school kids where the the police didn't go in. They were in the parking lot, which made me physically ill. Right, and and you validated stayed up for an hour. Well, yeah, the yeah, while, while kids were dying, <laughs> while kids were dying, while family members were trying to climb into the through the windows of school to try to do something, this right. wasn't the case in Ben. The police went in to you know to in to save save people's lives. Right, that's that's something my sister was saying is they were there immediately. They swarmed the apartments and the store like it was it was a snap reaction, and. Yeah, when when she was talking about, you know, waving at the SWAT team and my my niece being like it's my birthday and them saying happy birthday, it it made me feel better. Like like I'm currently living in Texas. Uvalde shocked everybody that the lack of response. 
And then hearing this restored some of that faith, I think, for me. In the case of Donald Ray Surratt, I mean, it, I can't help but think that that is sort of like, like you said, it's almost like a, a movie arc sort of redemption. And I hope he's remembered that. I hope Donald Ray Surratt is seen as a hero with no asterisks. You can be grateful anywhere for any reason. You don't need to win the lottery or narrowly escape a tragedy to feel grateful. You can feel grateful for a good meal. You can feel grateful for your friends and family. You can be grateful for a beautiful sunrise when you're out walking early some morning. And feeling grateful isn't some airy, fairy, self-help guru shit we're trying to push on you. It's for your health. You literally live longer for doing a short, simple mental exercise. It's not mind over matter. It's mind over death. When coworkers come back from a beautiful vacation, they talk about how relaxing it was, how grateful they are for getting some peace and quiet, how incredible it is to sip margaritas by night and watch a sunrise on the beach by morning. But guess what? The sun rises everywhere. You don't have to pay for gratitude. You've been listening to the Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.